once you get under the skin or lift the bonnet on some of these things, there's some, some major programs out there doing some really dumb things. You know, first to come back is definitely going to be domestic travel, pretty well everywhere. And they're saying global commissions, so commissions on affiliate sales for loyalty programs as an earner, are up 25%. And I do think that they're all going to they're all going to go to the same levers. They're all going to realise that they need to, um, on one hand, protect their members, but on the other hand, they're going to realise that there's a lot of members out there that are going to be reconsidering or open to, or be perceived to be open to switching. Hi, I'm Ian Pringle. This is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. What you've just heard are a few snippets of our topic today, where we'll be discussing what the response has been to COVID to date and what to look out for in the weeks and months ahead. To help me discuss this, I'm joined by uh, Phil Gunter from Australia. Hi, Phil. Hi, good morning, Ian. And Joanne Ward from Canada. Hi, Joanne. Hi, good afternoon oh, good <laughs> from afternoon. Montreal. <laughs> so to get things started tonight, can we um, start with a brief introduction to yourselves and just a few observations of what's happening in the market? How are programmes responding and how are customer habits changing in the markets around the world and within your market in particular? Phil, do you want to kick us off on this one? Sure. So Phil Gunter, um, I guess best known for, for um, running Virgin's Velocity programme for seven years um, and been with, with New World Loyalty for the last seven as well, working with clients basically in every industry um, and every continent as well. Um, it has been, as no surprise, it's been a really, really strange time. Um, uh, what, what's, I think it's fair to everyone is that, is that we all got hit with a brick at the beginning and just about everything stopped. So uh, nothing new there. Um, everything stopped and the first four weeks is all about um, either just downing tools in a lot of projects. There's a lot of stuff we worked on just stopped. And the rest of the work was all about migrating people onto the new working practices. So go forward was just not part of the thinking at all. But I can really do think that the thing, the, the world's starting to change, that the people are starting to look ahead. And it's getting a lot, lot more optimistic. If we had this, this call four weeks ago, it would be very, very different from what we hopefully we'll cover in the rest of the call. Well, we did have this call four weeks ago, so we've got that one in the recording. So if people <laughs> listening to this want to hear about what was happening four weeks ago, um, it, it, it does exist in the record. What's What do you see about things in the programmes that's happening? Oh, again, it's changed. So um, a few what what they all did right at the beginning is they became comms channels. Um, and But even that, there was a huge difference between the, how they dealt with it. So... Um, there's a lot of really boring comments being spat out at the beginning, obviously written by the legal team and you know, obviously not designed to be read by consumers. And then at the other end, you had people like WestJet who were pushing out um, like little video clips of their CEO, Ed Sims, who's just a brilliant man. Um, really engaging, really honest, really um, informative. Um, and I think doing the, their company and the brand of, of the world are good. Um, and interesting enough that people would actually sit through it and listen to it and, and learn from it. So I, 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 I thought it was interesting seeing how different um, businesses um, use the comms channel. Um, the objectives were obviously different. In the grocery, they were using the comms channel to try and, I guess, 
manage the panic buying, which happened in a few countries, certainly down here, the panic buying of certain items. And a lot of the comms was about managing uh, that and telling people the rules around the panic buying limits. Um, in retail, rest of retail, they were trying to get people to continue to buy, but online. Again, the comms were about, we're still trading, we're just not trading physically in the stores. And obviously in the airlines, and there was a world of pain in the airlines and, and uh, all sorts of needs for, uh, and there still is, yeah. Um, so, but that was the first thing that they, the first thing they did was go to communication, use it as a communication channel, um, and to and to and then then you can see secondly they start to think about how does it help the business. Thanks, Phil and uh, Joanne. Sure. Um, yeah. Hi, Joanne uh, Ward. Um, have been with New World Loyalty for I guess almost well almost two years, going on two years I think, year and a half. Previous to that, I worked at Amia uh, in global strategy, uh, working with a lot of clients in travel, retail, um, and financial area. And prior to that, I was with Air Canada. So I was actually um, working in uh, aeroplan and network planning. So here, I mean, I think in North America, it's, it's sort of a similar story to what Phil was saying. I think at the beginning, it was really a lot of the communications were, well, first focused on trying to um, let people know how they could get home if they were stuck somewhere or if people were, you know, trying to figure out whether they should be traveling or canceling trips. Um, and then I think as well, quite a bit of like reassurance about, um, you know, it's in particular for top tier members, you know, that their, their status was going to be, um, you know, rolled over so they didn't have to worry about losing status because they weren't flying as much. Um, and on the retail side as well, uh, I think a lot of focus, as, as, as Phil mentioned, on, you know, letting people know how they could continue to shop, but online, especially for groceries, I think here there was a big push on getting people to use the online um, grocery shopping uh, apps. And, um, you know, and just also, I think, you know, lately it's been shifting more to, you know, telling people how, what kind of precautions they're taking to make sure that the shopping experience is going to be safe or the customer experience will be safe as well as what they're doing to to ensure that their own employees are safe. So it's it, it is starting to evolve and I think here you know we are you know well I mean in the US in particular they didn't they didn't completely shut down in every state. Um, but in Canada it was it was it was you know it was a pretty um, serious lockdown but it is starting to come we're starting to come out of it you know they've just recently this this week opened up um, non-essential uh, retail in Quebec so that if as long as they have a storefront not in, within a mall they were able to open so it, it, it is people are starting to do more you can go golfing you can play tennis so it's it's coming back to I guess maybe it's not normal but at least semi-normal <laughs> you know people are starting to feel like they can do more yeah, same here. I mean, and I'm Ian Pringle, so I'm um, I've been at New World Loyalty for a couple of years now, um, and uh, and 25 years experience in loyalty. I guess what I'm seeing in the market is, um, and this is the reason why we haven't done a podcast for some time, because the podcast in the initial few weeks was, I think it was people doing their jobs, and that was a spectrum from one end to the other about about how serious the problem was. Um, so at one end of the spectrum, you had the likes of people thinking about selling their program. You know, you had the likes of um, Korean Airlines who decided, who've been out there saying that they're going to sell their airlines. And you've got people like American Airlines lending, borrowing against the 
collateral. And at the other end, you've got people doing the nice things to their customers where, you know, the retention of customers saying, you know, they're either going to increase the collection rate for non, non-air travel. And, and it, was, it was a real spectrum of things. And I think that was largely reflective of what people were told to do. You know, what, the, what, what you're reflecting the brand rather than the loyalty proposition. And um, I'm not sure how you guys feel about that, but that's what I certainly felt at the time. So, you know, you're going to be do, do what you're told to do because of the situation was so different from one brand to another, as you said, whether what, depending on what sector you're in and what brand you're in. Yeah, um, but what, what I find interesting is, is at the beginning, there was obviously a rush and there's a lot of copying. So in, we mentioned status sort of uh, extensions. So once one went, pretty much everyone pushed out the status for a year yep. or, or, or most programs. Right? But the devil's in the detail because um, there there's two sides. To st- there's obvious status, obviously. There's the, the fear of maintaining what you have. And by extending it, they solve that. But there's also the desire to get to the next level. Mm-hmm. And what I've, once you get under the skin or lift the bonnet on some of these things, there's some, some major programs out there doing some really dumb things. Right? So um, one of those, I won't, won't mention it, but an airline close to here, um, there's, there's all this stuff on, um, on, the, on the Frequent Flyer blog saying, I was 10 status credits away from achieving the next tier and I'd done it in eight months, and then obviously the flying stopped, and they're not giving it to me. Right? So they made they made ninety like ninety nine percent of the credits needed in the eight months, and they're they're drawing a hard line and saying, nah, nah, you didn't make the the tier. So they've dealt with the we'll keep people in the tier, but they haven't dealt with the the aspirational people. So to me, that is that's crazy. Like um, at the same time, there are examples like like. Oh, they're in trouble at the moment, but Virgin, what they did, they extended, but they also um, gifted uh, a number of credits each month, and they still are each month, and that, the number of credits is kind of roughly what you would need to earn to attain the next tier. So if you're and that's smart because then you that that's smart because that keeps the door open from when we get back flying again. You know, it, 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 you're basically it's, maintaining it, but keeping the incentive there. It is really smart. So, yeah. so, so people that were ahead of the curve will will get it, so they don't feel um, cheated, and people that were or were you know early in the in the in the calendar will will stay close to it, right? So is that what you're saying, Ian? Um, and yet, um, major competitor out there drawing the line, saying no, you didn't get it. It's black and white. Like screw you. And my experience is that people uh, deal with unfairness when it's blatantly unfair really badly that that will yeah. come back and bite them and, and there's a lot of programs out there that reacted quickly got stuff out there and now they're resorting, resorting to type yeah, i was just going to say that's nuts that they're not they're not showing flexibility because people you know it, this is this is something like this has never happened before so if there's ever a time when they need to be more flexible and give people a bit of a break it's now exactly. and and phil as you said i think it's interesting how some are doing things that are a little, you know, everybody's doing the extend the status, but a few have added a few others kind of neat little twists to it. You know, I saw, um, you know, Air Canada sort of put put out a um, travel at home program where you could actually, you know, for, for, for um, using your credit card or, or earning points from non-air partners, some of those, you know, points would be applied to your status qualification. So for people that don't have status or as you say want to go up a tier or for people rolling over they were also offering well if you make you know status again 
based on your activity this year, you can gift it to someone. So those are kind of cool. And JetBlue um, have done a similar thing, haven't they, where they've yeah. said they, you can maintain your status, but actually you can also gift some miles to someone else, which I think is smart yeah. because when we start flying again, there's going to be loads of capacity. Yes. Um, yeah, and that, that's what I really like about what British Airways have done too with pledging t 200 million miles to NHS workers, which gives each NHS worker who applies 65,000 miles, um, which yeah. is a hefty number amount of miles. And it's smart from a from a um, PR perspective, but it's also smart from a from a from a revenue and a, and from a, um, a capacity perspective, especially if you have to pay taxes, fees, and charges, because the taxes, fees, and charges are likely to be as high as the as as as, as the you know you're going to re earn revenue off that anyway. Right. Um, although to be fair, BA do have free flights, so um, or yeah. or nearly free flights. So I I think it's smart. I think there's 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 this benefit to be had there. I also like the the fact that the, a lot of the non re non airline people are also doing a lot of the redemption for charity, and that's kicked off into into a number of places. So places like BP in the in the UK have um have signed up with four good causes where you can redeem your points to twenty thousand plus charities, and then likes of Texaco have have signed up with Trussell Trust and Age Age UK and Fair Share and East End. You know these charities to be able to redeem your points for that and. That's as you as you said, Phil. People remember these things, and they 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 are a loyalty driver for sure. You know. Yeah, emotional driver. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and as you mentioned, the healthcare workers. I think that is a you know a focus for a lot of businesses. Just really sort trying to show appreciation to the healthcare workers, and giving them sort of soft benefits for for just all the work they're doing, like get, being able to get into a store you know, a grocery store earlier than everybody else or, or you know, having a special line so they don't have to wait around. Um, an interesting one actually in travel I saw was for Best Western, they're actually giving free um, elite upgrades to healthcare workers, frontline nice. workers. So they're actually giving them a status, um, which, you know, I mean, I'm not sure how many of them travel that much, but at least if they stay at a Best Western, maybe they'll get a few perks uh, in addition to what they normally would get. And um, what do we think about the pre-buying of miles? So there's been a lot of noise in the market about, um, well, not just noise, but news in the market. I guess if you're an airline, you want to borrow money. You can either borrow money from a, from a bank or you can pre-sell miles, you know, as a, if, if you at a lower rate. Complete, it's just a similar thing. Complete sense. So because yeah. um, if you do have a co-brand, you, you can pretty much predict going forward what your, what your uh, miles are going to buy. And all they're doing is pre-buying. So yeah. the airline gets the cash. The, I'm pretty sure the bank will or Amex will get um, a discount. Everyone's happy, and they're probably getting. It's probably a reasonable trade-off as well, as in the, the discount they're offering is probably um, reasonable. So it makes yeah, complete sense. So now moving on, just what, what do you think is what's happening now? You know what's hot, and what what have we been up to? So what what's what's um what do you think is happening in the market right now? So who wants to take that one first? Can I take it with a, some I'm worried about? So yeah, go on. It's not necessarily loyalty related, but it is. It's, it's very much travel related. Because the thing I'm worried about is a lot of people are saying that they've. A lot of companies are thinking that they've learned that you can do stuff remotely now, right? Because we all, we've all, as on this call, we're working remotely, right? And I do think there's that there, there's going to be a lot of companies going to really, really, really tighten down on their on their travel. Yeah. Um, in this part of the world, the, the flying down to, to Sydney or Melbourne for a couple of hour meetings, I reckon all that is going to. Um, it's, at least for a few years, not not just for a few months, it's going to dry up. Uh, and flying up into Singapore for something which you can do now, proven to do remotely. So that has two problems. First problem, obviously, 
even less demand for the airlines. So when they get back, it isn't going to be normal. Right? But the second problem is, this is something I'm passionate about, is I think people, the problem you have is people will um, underestimate the downside of, of doing stuff remotely. There's obviously some obvious upside. Right? And if you do have a cohesive team, which is built up in normal circumstances, and you move them online, then you can continue to operate for quite a long period of time without much impact, right? because you know people and you've, you've, you've built those connections. And a lot of companies will be doing their analysis of did online work based on the fact they're taking teams which are already cohesive and putting them online, right? and making decisions about their travel policy and about their even their office policy and how much office space they're gonna have per person and all that sort of stuff based on that short-term analysis. Right? But my own view is, that there is a lot of human connections which you can only get face to face. That is the side conversations which you have when you are physically in the room, and when you do, when you go somewhere and you're going out for dinner and all that's the side stuff builds up those human connections and the extra color, which uh, are critical, really important to building good business relationships. And that stuff will not be happening. And if you've got a cohesive team already, putting it online works. But if you're trying to build a team virtually, it's a lot, lot, lot harder. And I'm worried that, that A, the demand will be reduced for the airlines and travel, and et cetera, et cetera. And then B, that companies will be making decisions which will ultimately not be good for them because of doing an analysis which is essentially false. Yeah, I do feel sorry for recent graduates who've got jobs who want to do training and learn on the job because, you know, the, almost loads I learned in, in the early days was from being in a room with others, of course. Of course exactly it is. Right. Yeah. No, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Any kind of idea generation or, you know, a brainstorming. I mean, it's not the best uh, environment to be trying to do that online. And business development, sales, I mean, all of those types of meetings you know they just I mean as you say you know you it, it, it goes so much better and it's more effective when you can have really the face-to-face -face, um and relationship building in person exactly and, and feeling truly part of a team and being as one all that stuff yeah. if like if you've got a, a team already you've already got that you take it for granted but trying to build a team remotely uh, remote yeah remotely and and also like you say Ian, new graduates coming in and just getting on and just bashing away at the keyboard, they're, they're not going to learn a lot of the, the soft skills which they, which they should be in that, at that time in their career. It's, it's all sorts of downsides. I'm, I'm just a real, I guess, worrier because I can see five years' time it being really normal that, it's, that people don't travel for meetings and they do work from home most of the time and only come in for, for ad hoc meetings as opposed to coming in and, and, and having that human connection. But I think there's some really good positives out there. I mean, Joanna, would you, would Joanna, would you like to add any anything to this? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with Phil. You know, the business travel I think is going to be the toughest um, and the slowest to come back. But I think on the leisure travel side, people are so fed up with being, <laughs> you know, stuck in their houses and not being able to go anywhere. Um, that, you know, one, there's an opportunity even now as people are starting to kind of wonder, well, when is it safe to actually travel? Just trying to build on that desire for future travel and get people dreaming and, and, and thinking about where they could go next or inspiring them on, on you know, what they could be doing when they do take a, a trip. But I think 
you know, first to come back is definitely going to be domestic travel pretty well everywhere because at least, you know, you don't have to worry about is another country going to let me in or not? Or if I go somewhere and I get sick, am I going to have travel, you know, health coverage and so on. So I really think the domestic travel will be the first to, to kind of come back. And, and people want to visit friends and relatives, you know, that live in different parts of the country. Um, yeah. And, you know, so I think we'll start to see some of that coming back even this, you know, this summer. Um, but probably more driving, at least here, I think people will be more tending to, to want to drive than fly, unfortunately. Yeah. But, um, but I think there's also green shoots we're seeing in, the, in the, what we, what's becoming the new normal, you know. So, I mean, in the, in the buying behaviours you've seen, you know, the, the newspapers here are full of things like, you know, flowers up 92%. Yeah, you know, alcohol's up thirty-one percent, or at least home selling alcohol. Overall, it's it's I think it's pretty flat because people just aren't going out; they're drinking in. Um, online food sales up one hundred and one percent, of course. But then, what's what's really strange is some of the odd behaviours that are changing. So, in the UK, John Lewis, so a really big department store, they've sold out of most of their ranges of egg cups, and also loose leaf tea and coffee and coffee grinders, and it's because people are having proper breakfast. Yeah. They're not rushing out, you know. The the um so having a having a boiled egg in the morning instead of just grabbing a bit bite a bite of toast and out to the train, you know, which is which is just really interesting. And I wonder, and and that's that's might be here for a while. The other thing on on the earning side of loyalty programs, there's a really a, a really I'll, I'll put a link to it on below here, but um, affiliate earnings. So the number of publishers applications for affiliates is up 150 percent, and this is from um Awin. And they've also said that um, the advertising budgets are down. So people are spending, the brands are spending less on advertising budgets, but yet they're still running 95% of their retail programs. And they're saying global commissions, so commissions on affiliate sales for loyalty programs as an earner are up 25%. Um, and that's because the um, people are buying largely in retail because they also do, I'll, I'll put a link to it, but they do a really nice tracker where they have different countries, so you can select countries, most European countries, US, Brazil, Scandinavia. You can choose which one and then show where the affiliate where the affiliate earnings are up or down on financial services, insurance, retail, telco, and travel. And what's interesting is you see finance is down-ish, um, retail up, um, telco and services largely flat, and travel has, has dropped off a cliff. But not, but not down to nothing, strangely yeah. enough. It's down to... Is down to something, but not nothing. Yeah. Um, and so overall, you know, affiliate earning as a channel is up twenty two percent. So that's or twenty five percent. So that's that's got to be good things for um, for the travel for the for the loyalty programs who are operating it. And if you don't have, of course, affiliate affiliate earning, I'd say get it. You know, because it's right. got to be a, a channel that's up. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the co brand card is so important in these in this crazy time because it, it is one way to keep stay connected with with your members who aren't able to to travel but you know you can really I, I what I see I do see a lot of offers out there right now with um bonusing on the new spend that everybody's <laughs> that everybody's kind of focused on so you know online groceries I mean Amex I think it's you know has has a, an offer with Instacart, Instant Cart, where you you know you spend eighty dollars and you get a twenty dollars statement credit. Um, others are doing you know extra bonusing um, on food delivery from restaurants, some of the food delivery apps or streaming services, or just in general buying sort of your groceries um, because that's really what, as you say, that's what people are are spending money on right now. So 
you know, you want them to be using that co-brand card so that they continue to earn the loyalty currency so that you still can maintain that connection. And, and I don't know what it's like, um, you know, in the UK and Australia, but certainly here most, if, if you're going in person to a store here for your groceries or um, to a fast food to pick something up, nobody wants cash. They want you to pay with a card. Um, so, you know, that is one, I guess, positive thing, at least for the co-brand cards, because it, I, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, people are using credit cards more or debit mm, they, cards more than they were before. And these might not be retailer supported too. So, for example, Delta giving four times the miles when spending at U.S. supermarkets, and that's yeah. bound to be provided by either Delta or by the card card back the card. Issue. Yeah, it's probably by the card. Yeah. I would think yeah. the credit card typically, but yeah. it's good um, though. I mean, it's good. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. and actually, I, I've done modelling on these things, and it doesn't actually cost you that much more money to do it as well, because um, because if you're if these if these cards are being used by business travellers most of the time then actually their retail spend on this is probably reasonably small. And also, you're not, you, I know there's been stockpiling, but there's not that much stockpiling. So you're, you're, the, you're, you, can, you can model that cost fairly easily and come out at, at, a, at, a, at a good cost and then just work out whether it's good, good value for money or not. Cool. The, uh, and then what things do we see um, happening in the weeks ahead? So we've, all, we, we've said weeks and months ahead. So we said we think business travel is going to be a tough area, but what, uh, what else do we think? So I think in the airlines... Um... Even though they're not going to come back for a while, I do think the, there's going to be a war in loyalty. That it's, it's just kicked off with Qatar doing a doing a status match, and I do think that they're all going to they're all going to go to the same levers. They're all going to realise that they need to, um, on one hand, protect their members, but on the other hand, they're going to realise that there's a lot of members out there that are going to be reconsidering or open to, or be perceived to be open to switching, and so I think there's going to be a stack of of, of tier match campaigns are going to be a stack of really strong bonusing. Um, the, the, again, the frustration is um, some, some, there's some evidence that the airlines aren't learning, that the processes they're using are still the same old process designed in the 90s, um, where you just got to send in a, a photocopy of things. And with, with things like Photoshop, it's just madness. So it, it's madness that anyone applies for anything other than a platinum. Uh, all you need is a is a friend with a platinum card, and off you go. Um, which, which, which I think is crazy because there are, are are options out there to do it properly. But I do think there's going to be a mad rush to status match. I think it's going to they're all going to be like feeding on each other. There'll be a group of people matching to everybody, which again doesn't make any sense. It incurs cost. Um, but then the promotions will start, and uh, as someone mentioned before, giving points away makes sense because if you can get someone to burn points and buy one seat. Then you've got a really good chance of um, of of either getting a return or getting a companion or or getting some ancillary revenue. I think I think the the, the loyalty program is going to be right at the front of of this. They haven't got any money to spend on marketing anyway, so they'll be using it for to get try and get that free pre bookings up. Yeah, and Joanne? Yeah, I mean, I think you know there there will be that sort of frenzy of promotions and just trying to stimulate people to either you know use partners that brings in revenue or trying to, you know, get as many <laughs> business travelers or people that are frequent travelers over to, you know, um, an airline. I mean, in some, in some markets, maybe it won't be as intense just because just the nature of, you know, maybe there, aren't, there isn't as much competition, but yeah, I could see that happening. I think as well, I just, I think a lot of focus is going to be on showing consumers how safe it is 
to fly or what they're doing to really make, you know, the onboard environment cleaner or in the, you know, in the um, hotels, you know, the kind of disinfecting and, the, and, and things they're doing differently. So I've seen a lot of, you know, you, you, there's been quite a bit of communication coming out on that, um, you know, in the last week or so. And I can see that continuing because I think people still are a bit nervous and they want to, they want to feel that, you know, they are, when they get on a plane or when they go and stay in a hotel, that it's, that it is going to be different and they're going to feel safer. But that and, to me is the the line in the sand for me, certainly for leisure travel, is I don't really want to get on a plane where someone's wearing a mask and I don't want to no. go to a hotel which stick, which smells of disinfectant. So for me, there's a kind of draw line in the sand of saying I love travel. It's one of my favorite things, but I want to do it in a positive way. Yeah, I agree. But I guess for now, if people really want to go, well, they, you know, before there's a vaccine, I don't think... I don't see how people are going to do it without those kind of precautions. Like until they feel that the risk of catching it is lower, they're going to want to wear masks or they're going to want, you know, to have more space, which obviously it's, you know, short term, it's fine because there's nobody flying. But in the longer term, that's not going to work because, you know, airlines are not going to be able to make money at a 70% load factor uh, unless the prices go up. So, I mean, here, interestingly enough, Air Canada just announced, you know, they're, I guess they're trying, which is mainly business routes, Montreal to Toronto and, and Toronto, Ottawa, they're putting on the Jets aircraft, which is basically the plane that planes they use for sports teams. So they're um, narrow body planes, but with only like all business class seats. So there's only 58 seats on board. So I think that's when, you know, they're trying to pitch basically to say, hey, you know, we've got these planes. You're not going to be crowded in. You're going to be in a business class seat. You're, you've got more space. I think as one way to sort of get people feeling comfortable about getting back on a plane. And what do we think about the creation of more zombie programs? Do we think we're going to see them? Because, you know, obviously there's already jet privilege with Jet Airways, um, which was created out of the out of the, the collapse of Jet Airways. Then there was um, Latin Pass, which came out of the, um, became Global Pass. Do you think we're going to see programs survive their parent? Well, Velocity was designed to survive without the parent. Um, so it can happen, but, you, but you've got to set them up properly, from the, not, not necessarily from the beginning. You've got to structure them properly. Um, and the key to it, so I did a lot of modelling uh, when I was there on what would, we have, what would happen if the airline wasn't there anymore. And the key to it is to work with airline partners and other travel partners to create a, um, a, 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 an acceptable rewards offering, yeah, which, yeah, yeah. which which you can do. And I do think over the next year or two, it's going to be really, really easy to do that. This, because every airline is going to have, or most airlines will have capacity, and they'll be willing to work for you, and they'll be willing to provide reward seats. If you, I agree. Uh, so, so you can do it, but you've got to very quickly, the key to it is speed. You've got to very quickly show that there is a rewards offering, that it is enough dots on the map, that there is enough uh, sort of depth in the offering, and give people confidence that they can do, they can still get that side of it, and then the rest of it takes care of itself. And they can also leverage the fact that they're no longer dominated by one to make it more of a, I don't necessarily like the word coalition, but make it more of a broader loyalty program, which is more relevant to some of the partners which have previously been been squashed because of the dominance of the of the airline 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to work in some markets better than others because, you know, it, 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 once you start looking at spinning or, or having a standalone program, you need that program needs to make be able to make money, you know, sig- pretty significant money on its own or have the potential to grow. So, I mean, ideally, you're looking at markets where, you know, there is credit card usage like there, you know, and, and there's enough interchange that they can actually fund buying points. I mean, that's the first thing. And then I think just as well, you know, countries where you've got, you know, significant middle class or you've got people that have spending power is also important and the right partners. So I think if you want to really make it into something that isn't just focused on travel as well, you know, you need sort of the right environment in terms of, you know, being able to get, you know, a grocery partner that that's got good coverage and and some of the other everyday spend partners to really make it a success. But yeah, I'm sure you know, there'll be more airlines maybe looking at that as a way, you know, can we make money by by with the program by make creating more of a coalition kind of thing, but it it's not going to work everywhere. That's just about all we've got time for today, so thank you very much to Phil Gunter in Australia and Joanne Ward in Canada. If you like this podcast, please like, share or comment on LinkedIn using the hashtag loyaltypodcast. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you and goodbye.